guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I am so tired and feeling sick, (laughs) sick and tired. I like that we literally just had this conversation one minute ago. We should have just hit record before. But we were a lot fussier then. But it's a great day to be alive, Mandy. It is. We're recording um, our podcast. Things are going so well. And forget everything we said right before we hit record. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, things are going well. So yeah, I know everybody like up north is in crazy, crazy, what is it? Polar vortex? Polar vortex. Yes. So we are not in the polar vortex, but it is cold here in central Florida. For for us. It's cold for us. So, and my body just can't handle it. So it's literally breaking down. It's so tired. And now I feel like I'm getting sick and I just, I'm ready. I'm ready for summer. We're polar vortex. (laughs) Yeah. We've seen it on our screens and we're just tired of it. We are just tired of the nonsense. Yeah. So. (laughs) So this is part two of the story that we started last week. So if you did not tune in last week, you might want to go do that because you won't have a clue what we're talking about. And shame on you. Yeah. Shame on you for (laughs) skipping around. But I am going to do a quick little recap for those of you who were here last week, but maybe just want a quick little recap. So last week we introduced you to Felix Vale, a charming and good looking guy who grew up on a dairy farm and allegedly had flocks of women after him at all times. He was married at an early age to a woman named Mary Horton, who tragically drowned after a boating accident in which Felix was the driver of the boat. She left behind their infant son, Bill, who was later subject to his father's terrible, terrible parenting, being forced to hike all around California and in the desert in Mexico while being coerced into taking drugs and living on whatever his father could find, mostly grapes, from what I gathered from the from the first part of the story. During the time that Bill spent with his father, he had overheard him talking about how he had murdered his first wife, who would have been Bill's mom, and that the boating accident was really no accident at all. Bill eventually walked two miles through the desert to find a police station to report the things his father had been subjecting him to, as well as the fact that he believed his father had killed his mother eight years prior. Felix and his girlfriend, Sharon Hensley, were both found in possession of LSD and charged accordingly, spending a short amount of time in jail before being released and returning to a hippie lifestyle and finding work starring in porno movies. When we wrapped up the episode last week, we had just learned that Felix's girlfriend, Sharon, had inexplicably gone missing, and the story that Felix gave to her family was that she took off with a random Australian couple and that they had met in Key West and that she had these plans to sail all around the world with this strange couple. At this point in the story, Felix had told Sharon's family that he had not seen her in over a year. This was in March of 1974, but that they should not worry about her because she had a right to live her life as she saw fit. Sharon's family was not satisfied with this explanation, but had no idea where to begin with finding answers. So now we're in part two of the story. So as part of Sharon's disappearance, Felix actually explained that he had burned all forms of her ID and she had planned to become this completely new person. So she was leaving all this stuff behind. And in the fall of 1975, still no one's heard from Sharon. And Felix's mother actually wrote a letter to the Hensley family stating that Felix was surprised that nobody had heard from her yet. He was just as shocked as everyone else that, you know, she's not calling, although she has the right to live this life and blah, blah, blah. So at some point after Sharon went missing, Felix's son, Bill, remembered his dad taking him aside and telling him that nobody would ever be bothered by Sharon again, 
which Bill took to mean that his father had murdered her, just the same way he believed that his father had killed his mother before. But Bill had already been through this whole song and dance with the police, and he felt that nobody would believe him this time either. My goodness, the kid's already, like, said everything, still has contact with this guy who knows he's ratted him out to the police, and, you know... I can imagine you'd be like, what's the point? What is the point yeah. at all? You know, and it's Bill, them against me. Yeah. And Bill was 13 at this time. So he, it's been a while since his whole ordeal, you know, in the desert with the police the first time. And his dad has been in and out of his life during this whole thing. He just, in typical Felix Vale fashion, will kind of pop in and pop right back out. So this poor kid, Bill, I just felt so bad for him. Um, someone in our Facebook group mentioned that it was interesting that Bill's parents had the kids and that his, her mom didn't have the kids. Yeah. Which I wonder if that's I, – I couldn't quite figure that out either if there was a good reason for that or just because he was a living parent and he wasn't really able to take care of them and he would have access to the kid. That's kind of what I – yeah. Well, it. they never really nothing that I found on this case really talked about um, Mary's parents tr even trying to get custody of the child. But I mean, I'm sure there's some kind of crazy backstory there. Just knowing, you know, how this Felix guy was and the stuff that he was capable of and what he was doing. Who knows how that went down? But yeah, I never did find anything that her family had tried to get custody or was denied custody or anything like that. Right. Okay. So time went on and Felix really goes about with his life and Sharon is nowhere to be found. Sharon's parents attempted to file a police a missing persons report, but no police agency would take the case because they had no idea like of the last place that Sharon was seen, and so the case was never really investigated. Felix goes on with his flirtatious ways and continued to woo other women. In 1975, he met a 17-year-old single mother named Sharon Campbell. At this time, he was in his mid-30s, and she's underage. He has no business talking to this girl, but after giving her a few inappropriate compliments, she felt, I guess, flattered and gave him her number. Felix shared these stories of his past experiences with his new girl, Sharon, and he tried to coax her into taking off and traveling with him. She told him that unless they were married, her parents would absolutely never go for such a thing. So on July 24th, 1975, the two were married. I just have a question. Is it common or was it common back in the 70s for like teenagers to marry like underage, I just never realized that was such a big thing. And it comes up several times in this story that all these underage people are getting married. I just didn't know that was like a common occurrence. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how common it was. It's definitely common in this story. And I guess as we go along, some of the reasons the parents like signed off on it were, you know, you could kind of understand where they were coming from. But um, yeah, I don't know. Felix told his new wife that he had work in Oklahoma. So the couple, along with Sharon's one-year-old son from a previous relationship, went off on their way with him. Sharon and her son stayed in a hotel and kind of just hung out by the pool and stayed in the room while Felix was supposedly at work. But a little while later, the couple left Oklahoma and went to Louisiana to see Felix's family. And that is where this new Sharon got the shock of her life when Felix's own family members started telling her about how uh, Felix's first wife had died and it was suspicious and that apparently everyone in the family thought that he did it. So in his family, in his family. Yeah. These were like his cousins, his sisters. They're like, yeah, you know, his first wife 
is dead and everyone thinks he did it. Yeah, well, that's a. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I can't even understand that. That I would consider that a family secret. I wouldn't imagine you would tell everybody, but maybe they were warning her. I mean, who knows? It's crazy. Yeah. So Sharon obviously did not want to believe any of this, and she completely ignored the warning. But as time went on, it became more obvious to her that Felix really had no regard for women. And in her own words, she actually said that he hated women. So. After time passed, she's starting to see a little bit more of this and maybe maybe starting to think back to that conversation with his family. Months later, she actually came upon a terrifying sight, which eventually led her to leaving Felix for good. She had walked up on Felix messing around in his car. He was either cleaning his car, working on his car, something like that. I think they said it was a yellow beetle like or something like that. And she saw all these different surgical tools that were in the glove compartment. But she said what struck her as odd about this was that all of these tools that she found, they were all like laid out very neat and they were all perfectly sterile, like exactly what you would see in an operating room. So she had no idea what he would be doing with these items or why he kept them so tidy and clean, but it scared her and she had the marriage annulled and took her son and left and, got out of his life as fast as possible. So despite being in his late 30s, Felix still hadn't quite gotten his life together. He continued to abuse drugs, insisting that marijuana and LSD were God's creations and that people were meant to use them for enlightenment. In 1977, he got a job working for a seismograph company traveling the U.S. and using special devices to locate oil in the ground. He was one of the older guys in the bunch, and the majority of people that he worked with were in their early 20s. So he was kind of like, I don't know. I, I mean, late 30s is not old, is, but like. No, yeah. it's not. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> He's practically a baby. <laughs> Shortly after landing that job, Felix was arrested again on charges of criminal drug possession. And he did spend a short amount of time in jail. But once he was released, he headed back to Mississippi on a bus where he met a rich woman from Holland named Ella. So Ella was in the U.S. on business, and she planned to travel around, taking in the sights and visiting places around the country. She had intended to make her way to New Orleans, but somehow in the course of the ride, Felix convinced her to get off the bus and travel around the world with him instead. What is the conversation where you <laughs> literally change your entire life on a bus with this guy? who's apparently elderly, you know, according to you, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and decide to give up your life and go places with this guy? I yeah. just do not have that kind of free spirit at all. My spirit well, is like entrapped or something. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I am a free spirit and I would not do this. I mean, I can't imagine what you would have to say to me to get me to be like, okay, like I'll go on your motorcycle with you and, and I don't even know you, sir, but yes, let's do it. I, don't I like know. that you're so polite and call him sir. <laughs> Very formal for someone who you're leaving your entire life for. Yeah. Well, that was one thing that comes up a lot in the story was that he was super charming. Felix and Ella had a very brief time together before Felix eventually moved on and linked up with an old flame named Carolyn that he had dated in 1975. Even though Felix had left this woman high and dry with no explanation, she fell right back into his arms and married him at the end of 1977. So as we can see, Felix loves to get married. I just, he just loves it. It must be his favorite thing. 
So Carolyn worked a full-time job as a teacher, and she grew more and more annoyed with Felix because he actually was not working or even trying to work. He spent most of his time while they were married attempting to grow pot plants in the backyard, which I guess he hoped would eventually turn into an income for him. But his wife, the teacher, was not thrilled with that. Life. Felix being a scrub, I can imagine. <laughs> I like that he was attempting to do it. Like the one thing he's doing, like he can't even do. Like <laughs> you know, it's my one goal in life, and I can't do it. That's yeah. That's a no. Mm. It's it's rough, I tell you. So one night, the couple went on a double date with their friends, and Felix left with the other woman that <laughs> the next day. Yeah. So he left Carolyn once again, confused and pretty much ditched, you know, as he had done to her before. She also soon learned that Felix had been having multiple affairs with multiple other women, as well as this one woman that she she knows about now. So once their divorce was finalized, Carolyn took off and moved over 100 miles away just to get away from Felix. And that, of course, left him hanging and on the hunt for his next love interest. And we're going to tell you all about his next love interest after a quick word from this week's sponsors. I'd like to think I'm getting more motivated with age, but honestly, the things that annoy me are just getting more and more intense every single day. Drag my kids to the grocery store after a day of homeschooling while everyone, including myself, is in tears. Thank you, next. And that's where Instacart becomes my real life angel. I can make my list on my Instacart app, eat some snacks with the kids, and take a break and watch SpongeBob as a family because I know how to parent. This week, I needed to grab a few things for dinner I was making. A nice steak, asparagus, wine. But we had been running around with errands all week, and I just didn't want to leave the house for a few things. Because even with a few things, your kids have to come with you. If you're not familiar with Instacart, here's what I did. I downloaded the Instacart app, picked out my grocery store from a list available to me in my area, and put in a quick order to be shopped for and delivered to my house by a friendly Instacart shopper. The Instacart shopper gathers your groceries with care by selecting excellent produce, and if there are any issues with the order, they will contact you when necessary. Like, for example, my shopper had to swap out one of my items for a similar item, and I was alerted to the change right away. Instacart will deliver your groceries in as little as one hour or at a time you select. They bag them so your hot items stay hot and your cold items stay cold. Food arrived at a time that was convenient for me, and I was able to make dinner for my family without losing my mind in the process. Try Instacart and get $10 off your first order. To get this limited time offer, go to instacart.com or download the mobile app and enter our promo code MOMS10 at checkout. That's $10 off your first order today at instacart.com or through the mobile app. And don't forget to enter our code MOMS10. While our friends to the north have been dealing with the polar vortex, those of us in Florida are starting to pull out our clothes in anticipation for spring. Sorry, guys. But really, it's never too early to think of spring. Just think spring thoughts. Spring is one of my favorite clothing seasons when you can add a pop of color to your outfit or leave the house in just a small jacket. Spring is a season that's full of more than just florals, although Mod Cloth has plenty of those too. But it's a chance to truly refresh. Check out Mod Cloth now to discover something uniquely you. I love that Mod Cloth believes fashion should celebrate all women, and that's why they're expanding their size range from double zero to 28. If you aren't sure about a specific fit, the team of mod stylists can hook you up with complimentary sizing and styling help. I'm obsessed with a combination of floral and stripes, and I found a top on Mod Cloth that had both of those things in an adorable knit. 
It's a perfect top for a quick run to the store, or I could throw a jacket on, add a cute wedge, and wear it out to dinner. One of my favorite tops is one I bought from ModCloth recently. It's a versatile, chambray tunic that I can pair with dress pants or brightly colored pants for a perfect spring look. To get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more, go to modcloth.com and enter code MOMS at checkout. This offer is valid for one-time use only and expires on May 5th, 2019. Again, to get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more, go to modcloth.com and enter code MOMS at checkout. This offer expires on May 5th, 2019. Now back to the show. So Carolyn has been left at dinner with her other couple's wife. Husband? (laughs) I don't know. This is like a Shania Twain thing whenever her husband, Shania Twain's husband left her for her best friend. And then Shania Twain ended up marrying the best friend's husband. This could have been a happy story. It could have been. I'm fascinated by that entire story. So anyway, that's not what happened with Carolyn. But in my mind, I'm going to pretend. So years have passed, and Felix appeared to have slowed down a bit with his wild dating habits, but in the summer of 1981, another teenager walked into his life that he felt he couldn't live without, and that's gross, gross, gross. Annette Craver was at a friend's yard sale when Felix pulled up on his motorcycle and struck up a conversation with her. She was just 15 years old at the time, and she was still pining over a boy she had met on a recent vacation in Mexico. Despite the massive age difference, with Felix being 41 at this time, He immediately, quote unquote, knew she would be his next girlfriend as soon as he saw her. Annette was a bright young lady who loved singing and songwriting and lived with her mother, Mary Rose, in Houston, Texas. Annette's father had passed away two years earlier in a car accident, leaving the young Annette grieving and vulnerable, but she was very bright and managed to actually graduate from high school at the age of 16, and those around her said she had a maturity about her that made her relate to adults more than she really ever related to kids her age. Mary Rose struggled to find work in Texas, and eventually she and Annette moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where Annette began to pursue a new dream of becoming a midwife. But having Annette move to another state did not stop Felix from trying to get to her. He visited her often and eventually convinced her to take off to parts unknown with him. Felix took advantage of the $500 a month social security check that Annette received due to her father's death, and her mother, Mary Rose, didn't see her daughter again for over a year. That is so heartbreaking. She was yeah. only 15. I know. And you, like whenever you say a year, you're not really thinking, you know, it's easy to say a year, but if you're literally thinking as a mom, friend, whatever, 365 days of being without your kid, there's no communication, your husband's just died. That's just, oh man, it's just so heartbreaking for sure. So while Annette was off traveling around on Felix's motorcycle, she became pregnant But as we know, Felix wasn't really the father of the year type, and he was not interested in having more children, so Annette had the pregnancy terminated. Eventually, the two of them ended up in California, where friends noticed that Felix was still the same old controlling loser he had always been. He was eventually arrested again for violating probation more than 10 years prior. Instead of going back to Tulsa where her mother lived, Annette stayed and waited for Felix to get out of jail. At this time, Annette was... 17, and she was convinced that she and Felix were madly in love and that they were already what she considered to be spiritually married. So she called up her mom and asked if she would sign this paperwork for them to become legally married and kind of did this whole, well, if you don't sign these papers, we're just going to go to Mexico and get married anyway. So 
poor Mary Rose was really concerned that if she said no or did not do this, then she would lose her daughter for good. And as you said, she's already lost her husband. She has barely spoken to Annette and since she left home. So her mom, she did it. She said, okay. And she's signed off the papers so that they could become a legally married couple. So the two of them were married on August 15th, 1983. Annette turned 18 four months later, and after the wedding, she was able to collect nearly $100,000 in life insurance left behind by her father, which she used some of to buy her new husband, Felix, a Fiat convertible, and to pay for his dental work. But it didn't take long before their relationship started to crumble, just like all of Felix's other relationships. By April of 1984, which was just six months after getting married, Annette returned to her mother's house talking about wanting to divorce Felix and go down a different path. She wanted to go to college and get her education. She admitted that Felix had a very, very touchy temper and had once attempted to hit her in the face, but she dodged the blow and he ended up hitting his hand on the wall instead and he broke his hand and it was like this whole thing. Annette stayed home with her mom for a few months, but Felix would not leave her alone. He wrote countless letters, showed up to the house unannounced and would just beg her to come with him and try to convince her by insisting that their love was real and that they were supposed to be together. Annette and Felix, I got the impression that this was mostly Felix's doing, ended up wearing down Mary Rose to the point where it was really like emotional abuse. And they ended up getting it to the point where Mary Rose agreed to sign the house deed over to Annette. And she took off and moved to California to live with family and friends. Although she desperately hoped that her daughter Annette would keep in contact with her and also continue to get her education. So this poor woman, I mean, and we know that Felix is very manipulative and will get you know, kind of does his little snaky thing to get his way. But from the stuff that I read, like he would say all these terrible things to Annette's mom. Like if she, you know, she didn't really care about Annette. And like, if she did, then she would basically get out of her life and let her live. And like all this crazy stuff, like, and, and Mary Rose, like didn't do anything to this man, but it got to the point where her mother was like, fine, you can have the house. I'm getting out of here. I can't imagine getting to that fed up point where I'm just like, here, take my house. Yeah, no kidding. Once Mary Rose was gone, Annette added Felix to the deed of the house. Things went on, and in the fall of that year, Annette and Felix told their neighbors that they were going to be taking a vacation. But in a very familiar turn of events, when Felix came back to the home in October, he was alone. When neighbors questioned Felix on Annette's whereabouts, he told them that while they were on this camping trip that they had gone on, Annette had this enlightening dream in which she was sleeping with other men down in Mexico. And when she woke up from this dream, the two of them had this talk and just realized that Annette should have her own freedom. So Felix alleged that he dropped Annette off at a bus station, gave her $50,000 in cash, and then they just simply parted ways with each other. Because he has a history of just parting ways with people. Like, even whenever she's tried to get away or anybody's tried to get away, he's, like, fighting to get them back. So we're supposed to think that she left with all this money and he's just letting her go because she had a dream about sleeping with a bunch of dudes in Mexico. Yeah. 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 I don't get that. No. Well, well, none of his stories make sense. So that's, I mean, even if you think back to his story with Sharon Hensley and he was like, yeah, she just met this couple from Australia that had a sailboat and decided to get on it and travel around the world with these complete strangers. Like none of these stories make any sense whatsoever. But see, these stories straight up sound like Casey Anthony and the Zenaida Gonzalez, Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez or whatever. 
that they're just so out there that you're like, well, I can't even check on that story. You yeah, know what I like, mean? It's so you crazy. Can't, yeah, you can't disprove it. Right. <laughs> you know, just but it deep. just doesn't sound right. No, not at all. When Mary Rose got wind that her daughter had not returned from the vacation and that Felix's explanation of where she went, like we said, had made no sense whatsoever, she filed a missing persons report with the police on October 22nd, 1984. Once again, police were suspicious of Felix's story, but they didn't have any real proof that what he was saying wasn't true, and they had no evidence that there had been any foul play in the disappearance of Annette Craver. And also, this is in multiple states. This is like all over the place, so it's not like a local police department is investigating the disappearance of three women. You know what I mean? Right. Information's not traveling all over the place at this point. At least, I don't think it was. No, no, no. Yeah, this that's true. Um yeah, because the first wife had died in Mississippi, and then Sharon Hensley disappeared in Florida, and now we have Annette that's disappearing from Oklahoma, and they had gone on vacation, so we don't really know where she disappeared from or where right. she was last seen. So there's, it's, it is, it's multiple states, it's all over the United States. So there's just no way that you know these police agencies aren't privy to all this information about Felix at this point, right? So a couple months later, in December of 1984, Felix filed for divorce after claiming that his wife had deserted him and that he could not locate her despite what he called a diligent search. Detectives requested that Felix drop off a photo of Annette to their office so that they could continue in their search for her. They had found no evidence that Annette had ever made it to Mexico, as as Felix had alleged, and they wondered what happened to all the money that Annette had gotten from her father's life insurance. Felix told them that the couple had spent much of the money while traveling around in different countries and that they did not put the money in the bank because he didn't trust banks. When the detectives started poking around and asking the hard questions, Felix immediately lawyered up and came up with a very detailed alibi. So this is the story according to Felix. According to Felix, he and Annette had left Tulsa on September 13, 1984. They camped on a river for two nights, and on the second morning... Annette announced that she had to leave Felix and would be going to Denver to get a fake ID before leaving for Mexico. So he took her to the Trailways bus station in St. Louis, and he left her there. When asked if he would take a lie detector test about all, um, concerning all of this, Felix declined. In the meantime, Felix kept a diary of sorts where he contemplated all kinds of bizarre things, like how to get Mary Rose off his back without giving her back her house. He wrote hateful letters to Mary Rose, accusing her of being responsible for Annette's disappearance because of what a terrible and conniving mother she was. He wrote that he had no plans to communicate with Annette after she left him and that even if he did know where she was, he was not going to tell her mother. Police had very little to go on when it came to investigating what happened to this young woman, and Mary Rose started to feel like this case was going to go cold. So she planned a visit back to Tulsa so that she could speak to the detectives in person. When Mary Rose arrived to the home that was once where Annette lived, she found a suitcase full of Annette's belongings. Inside were several forms of ID and notes that had been written by Annette. One note that was dated February 17, 1984, outlined exactly where the $90,000 inheritance had gone. Annette wrote that she had bought Felix the Fiat, paid off his loans, and deposited $36,000 into a savings account. She noted that at that time, they had $41,600 in cash. Shortly after, the police closed the case and Felix never heard from them again. Mary Rose moved back to Tulsa and returned to her previous job as a manager at a bakery. Felix had long disappeared by this point, but Mary Rose had never given up hope of finding out what happened to Annette. 
She spent thousands of dollars hiring private investigators to look into the matter, but time and time again, they fell short and were unable to trace Annette's final movements before she mysteriously vanished. Eventually, Mary Rose got word that Felix was staying at a friend's house, so she decided to show up there unannounced herself so that she could ask questions that would hopefully lead to the answers that she was so desperate for. Once again, Felix stated that Annette had gone to Mexico, but this time he claimed that he had made a pact with Annette that they would contact each other after five years had passed. Why? What? Mandy, you don't remember that pact? You didn't make that pact in high school. If you and I do not see each other in five years, in five years, we will communicate with each other, even though we have no idea where the other one lives and one of us rides around on a motorcycle. It doesn't make any sense that's that's just like I'm buying myself five years on this story, right? Like that, yeah, that's all yeah, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I got out of it anyway. Mary Rose was doubtful that any of Felix's story was true, but she really couldn't do anything else to prove her suspicions. As time went on, Felix got back to the dating scene. Of course he did. Mm-hmm. He caught the eye of a woman named Beth Field who was drawn to his intelligence, just like all the women before her were drawn to his intelligence and good looks and charm and all that. But as had been documented in his previous relationships, things eventually turned violent and Felix would frequently call her terrible names and even ruptured her eardrum in one of his violent outbursts. After a 10-day meditation course in August of 1988, Beth got a phone call from Annette Craver's mom. Upon learning that Annette, who had been married to Felix, had just disappeared, Beth began to wonder what was the possibility that Felix had actually been behind the disappearance. When she confronted Felix about it and asked if he had anything to do with it, he said, what if I said yes? Ooh. Yeah. You would literally never say that ever, ever, ever if somebody asked you that information. No. Ever. (laughs) Not not unless you did have something to do with it. Even then, like, that's kind of a dumb answer. But really, I mean, oh, it doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense to say that. For some reason, after this whole encounter and this conversation, Beth continued to stay with Felix. And a few months later, there was another physical fight between them in which Felix physically abused her and accused her of being sexually promiscuous. Beth was granted a restraining order following this attack and Felix took off to parts unknown, but he resurfaced in Beth's life in 1990 while she was at a meditation center in Texas. Beth told Felix that he was sick and dangerous and that he scared her and he left again and she didn't see him for another five years. During all this time that has been passing, Mary Rose has still been desperately searching for answers about what happened to Annette. She even was seeking out psychics on her quest to solve this case. She had once contacted Felix's sister in Texas and in the summer of 1991, she decided to get in her van and drive there to meet her in person. She actually took like some of the seats out of the back of her van and made it where she could just camp in it while she was on the road. And she like put curtains up in the windows and everything. So she was. Yeah, she was committed to this. Yeah. Felix's sister warmly invited Mary Rose into chat and they spoke about the last time she had seen Annette before she went missing. Felix had been giving Annette a hard time about the way she was dressed and the couple didn't really seem to be happy together. During the visit, Felix's sister also disclosed that his first wife, Mary, had drowned and that many people believed that Felix had killed her. She also mentioned Sharon Hensley, who had gone missing while dating Felix, and that Sharon's family had contacted the Vale family numerous times over the years, wondering if anyone had ever heard from their daughter. Mary Rose felt that she finally had something to go on. Three different women missing after spending significant time with the same man was just too much of a coincidence to simply be written off as bad luck. 
After learning about the fate of Mary Horton, Mary Rose decided to reach out to her family to let them know about the other two women who had fallen victim to Felix. And we're going to get right back to this story. Can you guys believe we only made this into two parts and not 15? Because this is the longest story (laughs) in the history of the world. We're going to take a quick break from the last of this week's sponsors. As a mom, I do nothing by myself. I have an audience for everything, including taking a shower and even washing clothes. And when I'm measuring out my laundry detergent while being asked for the three millionth time that day if I know the difference between a turtle and a tortoise, I often find myself overpouring while screaming serenity now in my head. Drops knows we are wasting detergent. So they invented the laundry pod and then they made it better. Drop never has swirls or dyes because they know that these pretty colors, they don't clean. Instead, their detergent formulas offer a plant-based, chlorine-free, biodegradable way to take care of your home. Drops delivers powerful, eco-friendly cleaning products direct to your door. From laundry detergent pods to dishwasher detergent pods, they've got you covered. Drops products are packaged in the most sustainable way. Their plastic-free, compostable box doubles as the shipping container. They are also manufactured right here in the USA. Drops loves offering effective green cleaning products in the U.S., and they believe in supporting local jobs, communities, small business, and fair wages. Drops are also cruelty-free, so you know they are never tested on animals, as they believe in kindness and never taking harmful shortcuts. Drops offers so many great products to use in your home, like detergent pods, scent booster and fabric softener pods, and even dishwasher detergent pods. But my favorites are the extra-large wool dryer balls. Using these dryer balls helps save time in drying, and saving time with your dryer saves you money. And these all-natural, 100% premium New Zealand wool dryer balls are amazing. My husband is basically a dermatologist's dream patient, so I am loving the sensitive skin detergent pods. Great for babies or husbands, and great for sensitive skin, eczema, and allergies. Visit drops.com murder30. That's drops spelled D-R-O-P-P-S dot com slash murder 30 and enter code murder 30 to get an extra 30% off your first order of convenient plastic-free eco-friendly cleaning. Every drop counts. Poshmark does it again. I'm planning a trip in the next month that will involve tons of walking and what's better for walking than my favorite shoes, Converse's. I bought a new pair of gray Converse's on Poshmark, brand new for $65 and I got them for 17. This marks my second pair of Converse's from Poshmark and I am obsessed. You guys already know that with Poshmark, you can shop for millions of closets across America. I'm so excited to finish planning my trip, and I will definitely be headed back to Poshmark to make sure I get everything I need before I leave. One of the really great things about Poshmark is when you're done with something, you can easily sell it. Upload photos, name your price, and you're halfway there. Once you have a sale, Poshmark sends you a prepaid shipping label in your email, and you drop the package in the mail. Easy peasy. With Poshmark, selling is easy for both the buyer and seller. As our kids grow literally every single day, keeping them in clothes that fits is a constant struggle. My daughter is my mini-me, but she's not so many now. She has gone up two full sizes this year. Poshmark is key in keeping her clothes in things that will fit without breaking the bank. Find deals for clothes, shoes, accessories for women, kids, and men for brands like Coach and Converse. Listeners of Moms and Murder get $5 off your first purchase. Just enter the invite code MURDER5 when you sign up. That's invite code MURDER5. Now back to the episode. So Mary Rose has been on this visit to Felix's sister's house, and now she's learning all this horrifying information about how Mary Horton's 
drowning death may not have been the accident that ever that, that was believed to be. So Mary Rose takes it upon herself to get in contact with Mary Horton's family. At this point, Mary had been gone for 30 years. And so her brother was really quite surprised to be getting a phone call by this complete stranger alleging that Felix had killed her. But it was something that Mary's family had always really suspected. So they were happy to help and to to speak with her. They also put her in contact with Felix and Mary's son, Bill. By this time, Bill had children of his own, and he told Mary Rose that Felix was not in their lives due to the trauma of the whole ordeal when he was eight, which was the ordeal being he was forced. Yeah, he was forced to take drugs and live, you know, on almost no food. So Bill shared his horror stories with Mary Rose and agreed that he did believe his father had something to do with the demise of all three of the women. Mary Rose then got into contact with Sharon Hensley's family in 1994, which was 10 years after her own daughter Annette had been seen last. When she learned about the circumstances of Sharon's disappearance, she was shocked by all the similarities between the stories that Felix had given them. Mary Rose went to the Tulsa police, hoping that she would be able to show them a pattern and prove that Felix was a very dangerous man and that he very likely had something to do with all of these strange occurrences. Sadly, the state of Oklahoma did not feel there was enough evidence against Felix to formally charge him with anything, which was absolutely crushing to Mary Rose, who was very quickly losing hope that she would ever find the truth about what happened to Annette. So if you're wondering where Felix was during all of this, he was living back home in Mississippi, dating another new woman that was much closer to his age. During his relationship with this woman, he cared for his dying parents, and this woman described him as being very attentive and kind. I could not find her name anywhere, but that was probably intentional. She probably didn't want to be found. Yeah. Yeah. The woman said that she never saw a temper out of Felix in the 10 years that they were together, and overall, she had nothing but nice things to say about him. So time marches on with no answers, and Sharon Hensley's parents died in 1999 without having any closure. Bill was eventually diagnosed with esophageal cancer and knew that he did not have long to live. Before his death, he talked about his father and his experience with his father on a podcast hosted by Grace Church in Overland Park, Kansas. He passed away on January 3rd, 2009 at age 47. Then in what some might call an act of fate, Mary Rose turned on the radio in 2011 and was met by the voice of Jerry Mitchell, an investigative reporter who was being interviewed for his role in helping to solve a cold case. Mary Rose knew she had to contact him and hoped he would be the person that could help her in her quest to find justice for her daughter and the women before her. When Jerry heard the story about Felix, he was immediately interested in the case, and after he listened to the recorded statement made by Bill Vale before his death, he knew this was a story that he wanted to cover. After hours of investigating, digging, and interviewing, Jerry released a story called Gone, and the leads about Felix started rolling in. One of Felix's old co-workers from a shoe factory back in the 60s called and told of his experience knowing Felix. He explained how Felix had randomly started talking about his dead wife and how he didn't want the child they had and he definitely didn't want another one, so he quote-unquote fixed her so she would never have another one. The co-worker sat on the secret for over 50 years before ever coming forward with it. And then the DA was contacted by another person who would eventually lead to the break in the case that everyone had been desperate for. A man named Ike Abshire had quite a story, and he had photographs that would turn the investigation upside down. Ike alleged that when Mary Horton had disappeared, his father had taken their boat out to help look for her, and that he himself was on the boat when her body was pulled from the water. Ike had a large brown envelope that he had been holding onto for five decades and had never shared with anyone. 
Inside the envelope were two black and white photos of Mary's body. This was the first time anyone had ever seen any photos of this moment. The photos were taken by a news photographer who just randomly gave them to Ike, who was literally 90 years old as he's talking to these investigators and kept this for 50 years. How many times was this guy's wife like, Ike, you got to get rid of this brown envelope. You're just hoarding things, Ike. (laughs) Just get rid of it. (laughs) So conveniently, all photos and original evidence in this case have been lost except for the autopsy report and death certificate that was signed by the coroner in 1962. A new medical examiner looked at the photos and reviewed the original autopsy report and came to a shocking conclusion. There were obvious signs of foul play found within the pictures and on the report. The photographs show that a scarf tied around Mary's neck was stuffed into her mouth and down her throat, and there was a large visible bruise behind her ear. The shirt she was wearing also had visible oil stains on it that led to the medical examiners to believe that she'd either been dragged across a floor or was covered in a tarp that had some sort of petroleum product on it. The theory was that Mary was first hit on the head, strangled with her own scarf, and then dumped into the water. A short time later, the DA's office agreed to reopen the case now that there was more evidence against Felix. That's a lot of evidence. Like, to be able to just look at a picture and say, here's all the things you got wrong, like a Where's Waldo situation. Yeah. all this other time, they said, oh, the coroner said it was an accident, so it's an accident. That's heartbreaking for Mary's family that it really just took another set of eyes to say, yeah, you know, there's something wrong here. So the DA's office was going to reopen the case, but there was just one problem. And of course, that was Felix had gone missing again. He had just vanished. Nowhere to be found. Several weeks after the article Gone was published, Jerry Mitchell was contacted by a man who had read the story on the Internet. After chatting for a while, he said that he knew where Felix was and offered up that he was in Canyon Lake, Texas. Jerry shared this information with the FBI, who quickly discovered that Felix had, in fact, purchased property in that city. As it turned out, Felix had been living in a massive storage shed behind a padlocked fence, and he refused to speak to any reporters as they started showing up. Felix eventually took off again and evaded police for several months. He eventually sold the house in Tulsa that originally belonged to Annette and her mother for $149,000, and it was thought that he could be using the money to disappear for good. Then one day, he popped back up in Canyon Lake, and he was finally arrested on May 17, 2016. After his arrest, investigators found several disturbing and incriminating things in his possession. He had more than 2,400 pages of journal entries, letters, documents, and photographs dating back to the 60s. He had women's jewelry, he had Annette's birth certificate, and he even had a disturbing photo of a naked child who they later learned this woman, this person was now a woman, that he had actually been stalking her for years. So he had, I guess, known her when she was a a toddler and had literally followed her around for years and years. As the investigative reporters read through the journal entries they found, they learned all about Felix's adventures with all types of different women. His preoccupation with sex was very blatant in his writing, and he would even write about not only his sexual encounters, but also any dreams that he ever had about sex. He referred to women as, quote, whores frequently, and also wrote a lot about his obsession with children. They noticed that there were gaps in time from these journals that were actually missing, and these were the times that he would have been with Sharon Hensley and Annette Craver. So, therefore, they believed that he had intentionally destroyed these diary entries for whatever reason. Wow. They even read in one of his entries that he had also destroyed Annette's personal diary. 
Oh, can I say one thing? Are you listening to the podcast Cold, Mandy, about the Josh Powell, the Susan Powell disappearance? No, because that's such a sad story. It is. So they haven't gotten to the super sad part, but it's all the leading up. But things I did not know about this case, and I know several of our listeners are listening to it. There's so much like diaries, this kind of thing. The father-in-law had this kind of things about Susan, like his dreams about sexual encounters with her. He was writing it. There'd be audio stuff. He took very personal things she threw in the trash and would date them and kept it in his house. Like the most disgusting, disturbing things in, in you know, you can think of. But like this guy, it, this is what this story kind of reminds me of whenever you get to this point and just the obsession he had with her and stuff. So if you're not listening to Cold, you absolutely have to. It hasn't gotten to the really, really, really bad part of the story, which you know is coming if you know that story. But it's it's a really good podcast. It's super well done. Yeah, I'll have to check that out for sure. So Felix was extradited to Louisiana, where he would be charged with second-degree murder in the case of Mary Horton. His trial began on August 8th, 2016, where he pled not guilty and continued to maintain his story that Mary fell from the boat and drowned by pure accident. His attorneys tried to paint the day that they took the boat out as this romantic time out on the water for two people who were madly in love and then this terrible tragedy struck. They even called to the stand a woman who claimed to have been romantically involved with Felix for over a decade that said she never saw a dark side to Felix and that he was not a dangerous person at all. But the prosecution fought back hard and found a way to introduce the other two missing women as evidence in the trial of Mary Horton's death. It was a loophole called the Doctrine of Chances, and the basis of the whole thing is this idea that it's highly unlikely that three women would die or go missing while dating the same man. It's just simply there's the chances of that are so slim. So even though he was only being tried for Mary Horton's murder, the jury was allowed to hear all the evidence surrounding these other two disappearances. And after hearing all this evidence and the crazy story of Felix's life, the jury took less than 10 minutes to return a verdict. And of course, they found him guilty. Wow. So, yeah. So finally, at 77 years old, after he has gotten to live his entire life doing whatever he's been doing, he was finally made to pay for his crimes and he was sentenced to life in prison, which, like I said, I know that still is justice for the families, and I'm very happy that he did eventually get caught. But gosh, 77 years old, he he made it to that yeah, bar. For sure. And then, you know, like you were saying with Mary's family having never – or no, Sharon's parents died before all of this happened. Yeah. So they never knew, you know, what would come from this. But goodness, what a um, – amazing lady that Mary Rose was. Yeah. To- that And really it's thanks to her because she's the one who like started really digging and forcing people to take a look at it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so, yeah, but she actually said that to the other families. Like she was like, you know, I know that this trial was for Mary Horton's death, but really the conviction is for all three of these women who, you know, suffered this terrible fate because of this man. Yeah, and I remember reading something about the defense attorneys in the trial saying like, hey, guys, he was in other relationships with other women. They didn't die, so therefore he's not guilty. I was like, wait a minute. That's, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of crazy. You understand where they're going with that, with that, but it's kind of like, whoa. I don't know. That, that part was a little crazy to me, but, you know, it is what it is. But I know yeah. it's so 
terrible that he it took till he was 77 but you know he never thought he would he thought he would get away with it forever so you know he has what a life to look back upon where his kid wanted nothing to do with him he ruined everyone's lives like there's not a lot of life left in him i'm sure there wasn't a life left in him before like how do you carry around killing three people and be happy you can't be there's no way yeah so it's a very sad story. So yeah, so Sharon Hensley and Annette Craver are still both listed as missing persons and they never they have never discovered their bodies. They did, I read that at one point they had somewhere here in Florida that they had a lead and they thought they might have had found Sharon's body, but it ended up not being her. So she's still listed as a missing person, but they continue to look for any proof, you know, that they could use for to give these families closure. So it's just very sad. It is. So that was our two part episode on Felix Vale and all of the crazy stuff that had to do with him and his life and the tragedy surrounding these three women's death or disappearance. Really? We hope you guys like that one. This was a crazy story to, to like dig into. And like I said, at on the last episode, whenever I started getting into it, I was like, there's no way we can do this in one episode. So no, no, this was a super fascinating and really different. Just the fact that it covered so much time, you know. Yeah. These families aren't forgetting their missing daughter, their missing friend. And, you know, and luckily you had somebody like Mary Rose, who I just really think is such a hero. And she found somebody to listen like, and I don't know. And then I'm just happy that like technology has come so much further. So, you know, police communities can communicate together and stuff. You know, it's things can move a little bit differently now, which is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. So we are now at the end of the show, which means it's time for us to do last thing before we go, which is literally the last thing before we go. For those who are joining us just this week, we do this thing at the end of the show where we just talk about whatever. We answer questions that people want to know. And if you don't want to hear it, you can hit the skip to the next podcast button. On oh, your that is app. very salty. <laughs> very salty. It is not intended to be salty, but we know we know that some people don't like it. Some people don't yeah, like fine. it. Truly, we've gotten um, we hear and, from you. We've things. read it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So that is why we put this little disclaimer here now. So we're about to do last thing before we go. Melissa, are you yes, ready? I'm ready. <laughs> so Brittany N from our Facebook group says. As a parent, she does not feel listened to, and she wants to know if it fills that void being a podcast host. (laughs) (laughs) So it's the same and different. Um, My kids don't listen to me, and um, I mean, they do listen to me some. And then in a podcast, people listen to you, and it's great, and it does make you feel like, wow, your words matter until you screw up, and then you know that people are listening. Whereas my kids, I can screw up all day long and tell them things like, hey, there's only, (laughs) uh, LSU is the only college to have an alive mascot. My kids won't know that that's not true, but you, the listeners, will know. Melissa is having a very hard time coping with her mistake last week. (laughs) It's fine. It's one of those things where, like I told Mandy after I edited, I'm like, ah, I meant to say the only live animal, but I said tiger. No, you meant to say the only live tiger. See, See? I can't even help it. I meant to say the only live tiger. And so that, yeah, it just bites me in the butt for a while. And then like it'll stop for a few weeks. And then in a month, I'll get tweets about drumettes 
and about um, <laughs> about tigers. But it's totally fine. It, it means, like I said to Mandy, I was like, it means people are listening. And that is the exact opposite of what happens in my family. So thank you for listening. Thank you for telling me when I'm wrong. It's totally fine. It's all in good fun. Totally get it. Thank you. Yeah. So all of that, I guess, is the same for me. Yeah. I mean, I guess I... I don't really know. Yeah. I mean, my kids listen to me, but like you said, it's, you can only have a certain level of conversation with small, tiny people. So I love doing the show because yeah, I feel like people, I guess, are listening. They are. I mean, you guys are listening, like Melissa said, but I guess I never really, people are listening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I guess I just never really thought about it like that. You know, I love to talk. That's been something I've always loved. And as a kid, my mom would say that I literally never stopped talking. So I guess she's not surprised that I'm doing this now, (laughs) but um, (laughs) yeah, so no, yeah, I like it. I mean, does it fill a void? I don't know. Let's just move on to the next question. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good question, Brittany, and and we love you. You're wonderful. Go ahead, Mandy. The next question is? So the next question, I pulled this one from Angie A., but really there was several that were along this line, and I'm just dying because I know, Melissa, that you your answer is going to be very short. The question is, how do you celebrate Valentine's Day? And then we had a lot of spinoff ones. Like what was your best, worst Valentine's Day gift? There was all things Valentine's Day related. For some reason, people want to know what what we do for Valentine's Day or how we celebrate. Okay. So I did not have a Valentine until I was, how old would I have been? 20? Um, I, well, not true. I got a secret. What did they call them in school when you would get like um they would do like a secret something. What What is it called? Like a, um, oh my gosh, what is it called? Where somebody would send you candy, a like secret a secret admirer. admirer. So in high school, I did get candy from a secret admirer. And when I was 30, I found out the secret admirer was my dad. So that was a weird day. But um, it was very sweet. But I like literally all day was like, I know who sent it to me. And poor Melissa. It was her dad. When I was 20, I had my first Valentine. And it was my boyfriend at the time. And his birthday was on Valentine's Day. So it was just a tear. Like, it was nothing. So that really set the pace for all of my other Valentine's Days. I'm not a big Valentine's person. I know that's incredibly shocking to everyone out there. I just... It's fine, but I'm not going to go out on Valentine's Day. That just seems crazy to me. It's so busy everywhere. And like, okay, you're bringing your girlfriend and leaving your wife at home. I'm not really interested in this. (laughs) So judgy. You don't know if people are doing that. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But um, no, they would bring their girlfriend like the day before or the day after. You can't bring your girlfriend on Valentine's Day. Your wife will find out. So um, (laughs) I'm kidding. So my husband and I typically like order dinner and get it a couple days before Valentine's Day or even maybe even the day of Valentine's Day if we're feeling extra cheerful. And he always gets me like a box of chocolate covered cherries, which are my favorite chocolate candy, but they're the cheap Aunt Annie's ones or whatever you get from Walgreens. And we'll literally say, did you get me a card? And if I say yes, he'll go get me a card. Or if he says yes, I'll get him a card. And that's as romantic as we get. And our cards are always funny mostly inappropriate and that's where valentine's day ends and i normally get my kids something because they like that kind of crap yeah yeah so (laughs) my husband usually does give me roses because i don't know he's just is that kind of guy and he usually gives me a very sappy card with a very sappy love note written in it and i love it so much i love it love it love it we actually don't really celebrate valentine's day too heavily anymore because our wedding anniversary is february 20th so we can't be celebrating 
so many things in such a short period of time. So we usually celebrate our wedding anniversary and call it a day. So this year, I'm actually so excited because for my birthday, my husband got us tickets to go see Michael Buble in concert. And the concert is on February 16th. So that's kind of what we're doing. Yeah. So that's going to be like our celebration or whatever. By the way, can you babysit? (laughs) That was a joke, Melissa. I'm not asking. (laughs) I'm just like, this is a lot of pressure to ask me right now. I don't know what's going on. I might be celebrating Valentine's Day with my boyfriend that day. (laughs) It's not actually on the holiday. No, that was, that was a joke. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, well, that's good. We don't even really do I'm feeling kind of bad about myself right now. Not really, but we're just not big celebration people. But I'm not a sappy person. You know that about me. So, like, if you're going to tell me I have to celebrate something on a day about love, I'm like, screw that. It's no, I'm, I refuse. It's out. Wait, Anna Howard Shaw Day to me. And um, that's how I celebrate it. I'll celebrate National Anna Howard Shaw Day. And that's just going to be what I do. Well, there you go. Yeah. So we're boring. No, we don't do a lot on Valentine's Day. No, what is there to do? I mean, there's things to do, but I'm not going to talk about all those things. All right, let's close it out, Mandy. (laughs) All right, guys, we'll see you next week for an all new episode. Yay. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.